Welcome to the Mark Cameron Show. We have conversations with people making their mark, discover how they do it and what the future of their work is. We're coming to you from Edinburgh in Scotland. My guest today is my friend Ross Dickey. Ross is a photographer, he's a podcast host and he works in e-learning. Ross, alongside his partner Melody Joy, shot the images for our wedding and our engagement shoot, one of which is our logo. Enjoy the chat. You are Ross Dickey. I am. We're having an existential crisis before hitting the comment <laughs> about how to introduce you. Yeah, I got stuck on the first question of the survey that you sent me. <laughs> Which is, uh, who are you? <laughs> yeah, so I am a... Oh, it's a difficult question. I So, I am ostensibly an online instructional designer, which means that I make e-learning, basically, which probably a lot of people are shuddering just hearing the, the, the word e-learning pronounced out loud. But um, I also sort of, I consider my passion to be photography, and I right. do sort of photography on the side as well as my day job, which is instructional design. Yeah, okay. So you're a photographer, traveler, um, e-learning writer... Um, yeah. how, how did you land into all these areas? Uh, well, I'll start with the instructional design piece. Um, studied languages in university, studied French and Spanish, and then ended up moving to Bordeaux, took up a job at university after graduating, and taught English there for a couple of years. Toyed with the idea of going into academia, and I came back to Edinburgh, did a master's in English literature. Um decided that the PhD thing wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what I found was I really liked, I really enjoyed teaching and being in a classroom and discussing books, um, which was great in the masters. The masters offered all that, but I think the PhD would have been very theoretical. And I think I was, it was more sort of as a means to an end of getting a job as a teacher in a university. And so uh, I packed in after the masters and took up a job in a, digital marketing startup doing copywriting for SEO. Um, did that for about a year and then um, was unexpectedly made redundant um, just because it was a startup mm-hmm. who was absorbed by a larger company in London and they basically disbanded the small staff, which was basically me and a couple of interns, and moved the whole operation down to London. Oh, okay. So I found myself in a position where I was looking for a job. I had a flat in Edinburgh. I had rent to pay and things and uh, saw this advert for a content editor job. Didn't see who the company was for. Just said content editor, skills required, uh, attention to detail, great grammar, uh, some video editing skills would be desirable, that sort of thing. Right. I thought, I, I can do all of that. Yeah. And so I applied to it thinking, I'll stay here for a year at most. And that was four years ago now. So, right. Yeah. Right. So I sort of fell in love. Fell in love would be a bit strong, but... Um, <laughs> I fell in love with the people that I work with, I think, well, more than why? the industry itself. Um, I think just... So So previously, the marketing startup I'd worked at had all the sort of aspirational um, trappings of a recent graduate job. So it was in Codebase in Edinburgh, which is a tech incubator, mm-hmm all the sort of things you'd associate with startup culture. You know, they had beer and pizza Fridays. Um, <laughs> there was a, a craft coffee house uh, wow. um, on site. Lots of interesting, mm-hmm. mostly young people doing cool things. And I think my only previous 
work experience had been in a university where everybody else I was working with was older than me. And I was sort of thrown into a situation where everybody was the same age as me and but running their own businesses or just coming up with ideas of and things that they wanted to do and pursuing them. Um, and so it was just it was very sort of cool, for mm-hmm. want of a better word, place to work. And so and I then switched to working in learning development, which yeah. is basically serving kind of corporations or larger organizations, um, supporting the learning development function. Uh which was definitely not cool would not be the way that you would describe it. And so I thought, this is a little bit lame. I'll probably <laughs> stay here for yeah, a year, you know, find my feet, you know, be able to pay my rent for a while, figure out what it is I really want to do. And, okay. and you know, I won't be around here for very much longer. Um, but I think I've always been, you know, what, what drew me to the teaching job in France is I've always been interested in learning generally and how people learn. And I think there's a sort of sense of satisfaction with, um, seeing somebody develop mm-hmm. and be able to influence that. And especially in a working context where we spend such a great portion of our lives in our, our day jobs or, you know, working. And so I think to be able to affect that in some way and bring out to sort of enable people to reach their potential or to yeah. be happier in their work or whatever yeah. it is, is quite fulfilling. And so, um, unintentionally which is is, is you know everybody in the in L&D nobody sort of sets out in life to go into learning and development okay. you know my dad's a lawyer and he he wants to be a lawyer because he watched uh, To Kill a Mockingbird as a kid <laughs> and uh, thought I want to be, to be I want, yeah exactly yeah, I want to be Atticus Finch um, I never really had that I was good at languages and I've and sort of thought you know sort of quite good at English sort of fell into a writing job. Yeah. I've now ended up in learning development, but um, it's a sort of happy accident, really. Right. Um, yeah. And, and what's really cool is, I was observed, the way that you will engage with uh, learning development is from a creative side, a writing side. So I know you guys do a podcast and yeah. you've been doing it since before podcasts were on trend, I believe. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Well, I mean, I think we're, yeah, before peak podcast anyway I would say yeah mm-hmm. I mean, we definitely there's quite a lot of people I think who work in our field and probably this is true outside of our development as well but you know there's a lot of people who know you know pod, it's seen that podcasts are a cool thing right I think a lot of companies are like oh we should have a podcast without necessarily having a good reason to do it yeah well not that we had a good reason either I mean we basically I started it because yeah <laughs> I'm feeling the same I'm like just quite enjoyed the chat. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is, yeah, we're like Super having close. conversations in the pub and right. we thought like we should record these. We're all kind of podcast nerds and like it'd be cool to try and do this yeah. ourselves. And thankfully we had a managing director who was willing to allow us to spend working time doing that, even yeah. though there wasn't like an immediate bitty, uh, there wasn't an immediate business case for it. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. But the way that um, you've also engaged with all that stuff is like something your passion always seems to get through into it so whether your field was your passion you, you've inserted something of that in there yeah so how did the photography stuff come out of that uh photography started so there's a, there's a sort of intersection i guess um was also when i was living in france after finishing university i met these two people whose names i can't even really remember now two french young people i think they were pre-hipster hipsters like hipsters before it was cool really <laughs> and uh they 
I met them through a friend of mine and they were sort of going around Bordeaux where I was living, taking sort of candid street photographs with old sort of film cameras, which isn't a big deal now, you know, sort of everybody obviously, you know, now is shooting film and it wasn't, it sort of is no longer remarkable by the time most people were shooting digital cameras and it just sort of, it was, it was kind of at the point where digital was seen as, you know, definitely the way forward. Nobody yeah. really saw much value, I think, outside of sort of fashion photography and continuing to shoot film. And I just thought it was really interesting that they were making that choice and they were developing it all themselves. And, you know, I don't really know how they managed to afford it, but they had a Hasselblad and a Leica between them, which are incredibly expensive. I mean, I don't know if they're, they blew their student loans on these cameras or something, okay. but, um, but yeah, they were just going around doing like candid street portraits, um, yeah. uh, kind of sort of in the style of Cartier-Bresson. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. And so I started trying to do roughly what they were doing, but just with my digital point-and-shoot camera. Yeah. So I just, I would, I started, I found myself walking about the city with the intent of taking photographs. But it wasn't something I'd necessarily done before. I think when I was younger, I would go on holidays and take a camera with me and I would photograph what I was doing, you know, sort of tourist uh, snapshots and that sort of thing. Yeah. But it wasn't going out with the intent to take photographs. It was going out to see places and if I took a photograph along the way as a memento, then uh, it was something quite different. Right. Um, but I found myself going out and just trying to take photos for their, their own sake. And then when I came back to Scotland, I raided my parents' cupboard and found their old Olympus Trip 35, <laughs> which was, I think, from the 70s. It was like quite a high-end, but still aimed at the sort of novice or the mass market consumer. Mm -hmm. um, 35 millimeter camera and thought, I'm just going to you know, buy some film and put a roll through this camera and see what happens with it and get it developed to boots. And um, yeah, I think that's really sort of what sparked my interest in it. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, from there I then went on to invest in a sort of quote-unquote proper digital camera and um, got Instagram and sort of got into all of yeah. that. And, okay. Yeah. And what, what was then the journey of Instagram? Because, you know, it seemed like you hit Instagram at a time when it was very right for photographs of murky Scottish <laughs> <laughs> images. And there was a bit of a, I guess there was a bit of a boom that, that you were part of or seemed to create just by being passionate about photography and connecting that with Instagram. What was going on there? Yeah. Um, I was fairly late to adopt smartphones. I remember when the iPhone came out, there were lots of people who were really excited about it. And I was like, why would I ever want this? I have a phone. I have an iPod. I have a camera. <laughs> I why would I, why would I want it in one thing that does like each of those things slightly less well than the, indivi like, the sort of, uh, individual uh, elements of that? Right. So I was late to do it. Eventually got one. I inherited one that uh, from my mum. She was like upgrading to, um, I think it was the iPhone 5 from the 4. So I got her 4. And I thought, well, what do people with smartphones do oh they have instagram i've seen people taking photos of yeah. their coffee and their like lunch and their pets and things uh on that and uh putting filters on it so downloaded the app didn't really know how to use it at first didn't realize what hashtags were i thought why is nobody seeing any of my photos <laughs> um but eventually once i figured that out uh i started looking through 
the Edinburgh hashtag. I stumbled across this uh, account from a uh, mate of mine, uh, a guy called Steve Oates, who was not doing photography as a living, but was just sort of um, going around, mostly Edinburgh, but also the Highlands of Scotland with his iPhone, Mm. taking beautiful pictures of the place that he lived and just sort of the things that he saw on a daily basis. And it made me think, I see all these things too, but sort of doesn't necessarily occur to me to take photos of them. Like I think for a long time, like I think being in France when I started taking photographs seriously or sort of more seriously was key because it was, I think there everything was slightly exotic and I had a reason to go out and photograph it. It was an obvious sort of reason for me to do that. Whereas in Scotland, I've always known. And so I didn't necessarily see you know, I appreciate the places like Glencoe and yeah. things were, were beautiful, but I, w- I wouldn't necessarily think to go to these places with the intent of taking photographs. Right. Um, and yeah, so I saw, I saw what he was doing. I, I found a few other um, people through Instagram who were doing similar stuff, and uh, that sort of inspired me to try and do the same thing. So when I was doing my master's, because I only had classes for a few hours a day, I would spend the rest of the time wandering the streets of Edinburgh mm. and just mm. taking photos and getting to know the city. But um, yeah, mostly sort of trying to find different locations right. to photograph. Right. Oh, it's, and it was beautiful. And you could see there was a, a move in Scotland that seemed to make the place kind of busy when Instagram just blew up with tons yeah. of images of iconic locations looking impressive. And what what was that like just observing uh you know, thousands of people starting to engage with it or you saw the uptrend in people photographing Scotland passionately and Yeah, it's um I think it's changed quite a bit now, really since it was taken over by Facebook, I think that mm. it has the ethos at Instagram I think has changed as a company, but I think the way that people use it has changed as well. Um I think initially it felt like there was quite a close-knit community hmm. so there was you know there were people who would instagram would host uh insta meets um every year so basically on their anniversary they would yeah. have worldwide insta meet and people would meet up and take photographs and that happened organically outside of instagram as well yeah. in edinburgh you know because people would sort of self-organize where we met when i had uh yes yeah two indeed. posts yeah. on my instagram and <laughs> Four followers, and <laughs> <laughs> I think we, my wife had a lot more. What are you up to now? <laughs> I think I might have about 50 posts. But Half I, of those are related <laughs> to the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that will continue to increase. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm tra- you know, I'm trailing behind you by a small margin, I, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's so. Yeah, so I mean, I, I met quite a few people through the Instagram community in Scotland. Um, just people who are also interested in taking photographs and it become right. like a thing. So you'd, you'd meet up in Edinburgh and a bunch of you would just walk around the city and take photos, mostly at that time with our phones rather than DSLRs or anything mm-hmm. like that. And then at some point, somebody from Instagram HQ in London, their London offices came up for a worldwide insta meet mm. and met a bunch of the people in the community in Scotland and shortly after that um, 
a lot of people started becoming suggested users. So okay. Instagram don't do this anymore, but it used to be that um, every two weeks they would change the people that the Instagram account followed, which basically right. meant that if you were a new user signing up to Instagram, they would say, Mark, you might be interested in following Ross. Yes. Um, and so over that two-week period, if you became a suggested user, it meant that you're, you would just your audience would absolutely explode. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I went from having a thousand followers to 97,000, yeah. uh, like at its peak and it's kind yeah. of been, you know, tapering off mm-hmm. since then. But I mean, that, that only happened. I wasn't at that, that meet where the person from Instagram came up yeah. and met the whole community. It was, I think it was maybe somebody else suggested that I should be on the list. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how it happened, but it's sort yeah. of, it's um, yeah. I mean, it's open. It's open doors anyway. I think yeah. it's yeah. Okay. And it's now such a big thing that like there's so many. There were a lot of people doing it then, but I think now, I'm sort of stumbling across new accounts or people taking photos of Scotland, generally the same sort of locations. Yeah. Every other day, and the, you know their their photos are all pretty well edited, and you know they've clearly been yeah. taken on SLRs, and I think it's just it's yeah it has changed a lot and become it's probably be a lot harder to stand out. No, yeah. I think if I was just getting started with it. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. And has the has that boom um, changed the way that you engage with the art of photography? Um, how did it? Yeah, how I did think you experience that. I think it's interesting to think about it because you suddenly have an audience. How authentic that audience is is sort of up for debate. But I mean, you mm. you know a portion of it will be bots, a portion of it will be people who simply never engage with you. But you have a perception right. of an audience... Mean, sorry, do you mean bot, uh, bot accounts or... No, bots is bots. in sort of like robot accounts, basically, right. that have just been created by an algorithm okay. and are just there to, to sort of... I, I'm not really entirely sure what bot accounts are for. If yeah. it's for delivering spam or... Um, scams phishing scams or right. something like that I'm, I'm, I who makes them I don't really know <laughs> if you told us it would be but it's just the thing one yeah <laughs> but it would be you, you sort of you see these you can generally tell uh, yeah. like a, a sort of fake account um, they'll have probably like zero posts yeah. uh, but they'll be following a lot of okay. people and yeah they may not have a profile photo or something like yeah. that you can just usually tell that it's not a real person um and so but again yeah to go back to your question you have suddenly a perception that you have an audience who have engaged with your work for Mm -hmm. a particular reason and so you feel i mean this sort of shouldn't be like this but you do feel a pressure to cater to that audience i think and Mm. to create content that they will engage with which sort of i mean when it boils down to it is about like getting likes and mm-hmm. followers mm-hmm. which is like a really it's quite a destructive thing I think actually when you or it's, it's quite um, constraining artistically to feel right. like you are you, you suddenly sort of pigeonholed into this is what I'm known for and so uh-huh. this is kind of what I have to continue to create and, and yeah. there are certain things that you sort of figure out are, are more um effective at generating engagement on social media and so yeah. even if you sort of fight against it there is a sort of inclination I mean, it's human nature i think to sort of you get that um 
what's the like a dopamine yeah it's dopamine or, that's, yeah. that's what I was that's what I was looking for yeah, yeah. you get that sort of dopamine hit I yeah. think and you know it's been it's been designed with that in mind they know what they're they're doing <laughs> but it's it's um it definitely I I try not to think about that when I'm taking photographs but it definitely has influenced the way that I see the world I think actually mm. Mm. um or even just make photographs generally I think I think in some sense you know, everybody has a phone now and so you can sort of argue that everybody is a photographer to a certain extent right i think that the i don't i don't entirely buy into that but i think that the average person probably has a better sense of what makes a good photograph than their than uh, an equivalent person would have sure. pre-smartphones yeah um the barrier to entry into photography is much lower yes. now yeah. than it used to be. So I think, consciously or not, you do find yourself producing or creating work that fits into that Instagram aesthetic. I think a lot of people know what I mean when I when I say that. Sure. It's sort of you know. So for instance. Um, Supposedly, I don't, I don't really have any data to back this up, but supposedly uh, portrait orientation, so up and down yeah. images, are more successful at generating engagement than landscape, so okay. horizontal, which, um, you know, traditionally in photography, the landscape photograph, at least for landscape photography specifically, uh-huh. is would have been the norm. Yeah. That would be sort of the tradition. That's how most landscape photographers would uh, approach their subject, but different with portraiture. But um, you see this a lot in Instagram where certain people, you know, will post portrait orientation images because mm. they know that it's going to get yeah. better engagement. Yeah. And I think there was a period where I did that. And I think it's, it's sort of easy to conflate likes and engagement for actual quality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's part of it in the art, isn't it? Is the there's a, a joy in putting content out into the world or something out. Mm-hmm. And there is, a, I'm sure, a natural hope that people like it and take it in in a way that you feel proud of and excited about. And, uh, and I, yeah, I could completely understand if you get such instant feedback from social media on whether something is tracking or not tracking, mm-hmm. perhaps not in the same way that you do with you know, a piece of art in a gallery. Yeah. Um, where people make of it what they will as they pass by. Yeah. You don't have a like button there and comments and um watching your audience you know, by the by the individual go up and down mm-hmm. throughout it. Yeah. Where, where I mean you... I think that's quite an interesting comparison actually. So there's like there's a photographer, uh Vivian Meyer, have you heard of her? No, no. So there's a documentary, uh, it's a few years old now called Finding Vivian Meyer. Basically, this um, she was a nanny who I think she lived in Chicago primarily, but she sort of moved all over the U.S. and various different families had different stories about her or thought of her as being a different person. Some people thought she was American, some people thought she was French, some people thought she was German. She lived in obscurity most of her life, but she took these amazing photographs. I mm. never did anything with them. She some of them she didn't even develop. 
I think. Or, you know, she had all the negatives. She had some prints, but she didn't really share them with anybody. Nobody had any idea mm. that she was this prodigious talent. Mm. And it only came to light because this, um, this guy would sort of habitually go to auction houses and just bid on items that he thought were interesting. And this, this um, auction came up for basically her collection of negatives. He didn't know what he was buying at the time. And then when he actually purchased them sort of on a bit of a Whoa. punt, basically, he discovered there were these amazing street photographs, portraits and you know Im- images of the kids that she was looking after as a nanny, but also just images Whoa. from the streets of Chicago and different places in the US and sort of that compulsion. So I, I guess, so the reason I bring her up is because there is like a compulsion to share work mm. with the world and have it felt but I think that's I don't know if that's part of being an artist necessarily uh-huh. like there's uh-huh. a kind of you know there's it's human to seek validation for yeah. your work yeah. but it's sort of it's sort of a distorted validation I think it's kind of the lowest common denominator right like so you could see an image to use an example from like a Scottish landscape you know you could see an image of like a little white house and a big mountain behind <laughs> it or something yeah. that would you know on Instagram would probably do better than one of Vivian Meyer's photographs, but nobody would really dispute that Vivian Meyer was a better photographer than, you know, the person who'd snapped something on their phone of a yeah. little warehouse while they've, you know, pulled off the side of the road and yeah. taken a photo. Um, similarly, when you're in a gallery, I think, you know, you, you're swiping through Instagram, you see things for only a few seconds, you only have, you know, a short space of time to evaluate an image and decide whether or not you like it. It's quite a shallow metric and appreciation of it. But actually, I think really great photographs a lot of the time don't reveal themselves to you immediately. Yeah. You have to actually sit and contemplate it. And yeah. it's not maybe immediately obvious what it was the photographer was trying to do. Yeah. And you know, often with the really great photographs, there's sort of subtle elements that are in there that you need to sort of search and mm. find and... Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think um, the boom in photography that came through uh, things like Instagram will play out positively? Like in, you know, in the actual world, there'll be renewed interest in physical uh, galleries or displays of photography in a way that there hasn't been before. Have you seen much of that? Um, I hope so. I mean, I think so. There, I think it does... It's made it more democratic, I think, mm-hmm. photography. So I guess a good example, or positive example, would be there are people that I know who have made careers out of photography yeah. and have had their work exhibited simply because of social media. And it's provided them with a medium to share their work with the world and to be recognised and have their talent recognised. And that's led to... Yeah, gallery exhibitions, commissions from large companies, and actually, you know, work being made in print. I think for most people, though, Instagram is kind of the, it's where it's it's the sort of modern analog for the, um, the family photo album, or just you know getting yeah. work printed. I was thinking about this earlier today in anticipation of our conversation, <laughs> and how like my first digital camera was like three megapixels or something and I would still because before I owned that I'd only ever had sort of disposable film cameras or yeah point and shoot film cameras 
I would still get prints made of my three megapixel digital images. Yeah. I get six by four prints from Boots made of those, um, just because that was really the only way you could have uh -huh. an image. You know, the, you wouldn't have, the idea of having a digital image on your phone in the early two thousands. Nobody, I mean, it just wouldn't occur to anybody yeah. to do that because the resolution would be so terrible, the colors would be terrible, and so to be able to see it, unless you're putting it on a computer screen. You really still needed to get it printed. Yeah. Whereas now you have high resolution displays on your phone, iPads, and everything. And, yeah. You know, and your photos are just splashed all over the. Yeah, and so I I would imagine that the majority of people don't get their photos printed unless it's you know for a special occasion, you know, like a wedding or something, and yeah. they want to yeah get something like yeah. that yeah. printed that's more um, personal to them. Yeah. So. Um, what what's the future of all this then? Um, what's the future of photography and Instagram from where you're seeing it go? Because from my experience, uh, social has become really really entrenched in society in a way that has you know massive positives and massive challenges. Um, it's changing the tone of political conversation. It's changing the tone of how music is experienced and shared um but when it comes to yeah photography what what future do you think there is in instagram and this art um oh it's a difficult question <laughs> um i think that i mean we're, we're sort of we're all we've all heard the statistic that you know there's sort of more images have been created in the last sort of um, year or so than were ever created in all of existence yeah. before then or something yeah. like that. So there's sort of a lot more images out there and we live in an increasingly, increasingly visual culture. Um, in terms of the future of photography as a medium, I think it's difficult to separate photography from social media just because mm. platforms like Instagram are so widespread and I think actually... Has, I mean, this isn't universally true, but I think to some degree to be successful as a photographer, um, I mean successful as in making a living from it, not, not mm -hmm. necessarily artistically successful, but um, to be able to do it as a living, you sort of need to have a presence on social media right. in some shape or other. I think that will continue to be true. I don't, I don't know if Instagram as the platform will necessarily go the distance or something else will come along and replace it mm. um i know a lot of people now have a kind of love-hate relationship with instagram whereas i think when i got into it it was a much more positive and yeah. encouraging place than it is right no um <laughs> did you ever see um it was a, a cartoon made about twitter and it was uh like two guys walking along the street and then they saw this pub you know called twitter and they go in and they're like my goodness, no one's here, and everyone bought each other drinks, <laughs> and you could talk about anything, and it was amazing, and mm -hmm. they were, then they got a few more mates in, but then all their mates decided to have horrendous, you know, horrendous fights, until in the end, it was, it was just a brawl, and the yeah. two guys left the pub, <laughs> in the same way, Twitter just, I, I think in some sense, became a, a kind of brawling free-for-all, but mm -hmm. I, I still kind of love that about it. Yeah. <laughs> but then... Do you think something will will take over Instagram or it'll, it'll um, be another platform? 
I think probably not for... It's a little bit like Facebook in the sense that I think people still use it, but just because it's so ingrained in our culture and it's difficult not to have it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Instagram, you, you only have to look at um, the way that hotels are designed now, restaurants are designed now, um, various different types of experiences or the way that we interact with the world are designed around what it's going to be right. Instagram friendly, I right. guess, and which is slightly depressing. <laughs> but um, I think it's quite difficult to imagine. Or it's not difficult to imagine Instagram going away. I think it is. It, it, it might just no longer be where all of the cool people go to hang out <laughs> like, you know how facebook's a little bit like it's cool really it's just like your parents and yeah your sort of um your older colleagues that that's <laughs> there now it's um yeah i feel like instagram might go that way right. as well okay um friends you were you were sharing earlier about your your passion for photography um and the blend of that as a professional you know way of earning your income um you also combine that with your your sense of enjoying a day job. Um, what is that experience like for you? And I, I'm thinking of it in terms of a lot of millennials who will have a passion for something, a, a artistic passion, a craft, um, and they would love the idea of doing that full time, um, but then realize they start work in the world, doesn't owe them anything. Mm-hmm. And they either need to work desperately hard to push at that or um, often people sacrifice it. But you seem to hold both together really well. What, what's that like for you? I mean, it might just be that I'm not committing to one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified of making a decision and going for, <laughs> for one or the other. But no, I mean, I think, I think it's definitely seen as like an aspirational goal for people our age to sort of pursue your passion and do what you love. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing that, you're somehow failing at life, basically. <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, for a long time, I was fairly convinced that I, I sort of bought into that. I wanted to make photography my full-time job. And just to be able to have the sort of freedom to work for myself. Mm-hmm. But um, I found that the more commercial work I take on and the, m- the more sort of money I make from photography, the less I enjoy photography for its own sake mm. so now when i pick up a camera i often feel like I, it needs to be for some sort of purpose uh and a lot of the times that purpose is commercial mm-hmm. at the end of the day and I, I think it sort of it's robbed some of the joy of it so um that's one of the reasons actually i've been shooting quite a lot of film recently oh nice um which is sort of how i got sort of come full circle a little bit which is how I got into Mm. photography properly in the first place Um, but just because like I went for a hike with my dad a few weeks ago and I thought if I take my digital camera with me I'll feel like I need to come back with something to show for it and something that I can you know build into part of a series something that I can sell to you know one of the companies I'm working with Mm -hmm. or something like that Um, whereas if I take a film camera I'll be more present I'll shoot fewer images because I know I've only got 15 images on a medium format roll mm-hmm. and I'll be more present and I actually just enjoy the hike with my dad That's rather nice. than doing the hike to be able to get a photo do a hike 
because I enjoy hiking yeah. and spend time with my dad. And then if I get a photo from it, then great. But if I don't, then it was still a nice day out sort of yeah. thing. So Yeah, I like that. There's something um, yeah, nice about the way that you can bring those together. And um, The thing about presents, I, I like because uh, we've done a couple of trips where um, you and <laughs> partner Mel's amazing photographer and mm-hmm. Mary Ruth, amazing photographer, and I would just, uh, I would just enjoy standing in the same place for like ten minutes, and I feel quite, I have the nature that I would enjoy just, you know, standing on a beach for ten minutes. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, you know, you guys gave us the joy of forty minutes in the same location because there was something quite nice about being really present to what we're seeing here, where yeah. can we catch it from. That that I actually quite enjoy the sense of well, I, I'm just gonna sit down and enjoy this for a while or yeah. take pictures of rocks very close up yeah <laughs> which is a series no one will ever see <laughs> well yeah the Vivian Meyer of our group yes <laughs> we're, all, we're all going to know that's right but no I think uh, I think that's interesting I mean like I used to because I've always been interested in and loved the outdoors and you know like mm-hmm. going for hikes with my dad for example is something that I've done my whole life um, and increasingly what draws me to the highlands is the impulse to create photographs and I think that's great in some ways and it certainly made me more aware of changes in light and sort of Mm. appreciate the beauty of rain or Mm. you know sort of Mm -hmm. texture and clouds and things I feel like I'm sort of more awake to that probably than most people are but there's also sort of when your purpose behind going to these places is to create photographs is slightly alienating at the same time so it's um mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a, it's a weird one yeah like it makes uh, you more right it, it makes you like more present in the moment and yet the opposite at the same time yeah. in some way i think anyone engaging with art is like right in the middle of that songwriters will have the same experience when i pick up a guitar often now if you come up with an idea that you like like so quickly you're like this is the best song ever this <laughs> this needs to be captured and it would be tragic if i could not record this immediately right yeah um but you know and it's it's a strange sort of collision that rather happens. than just being able to appreciate yeah. the music that you've yeah, created enjoy playing guitar yeah. Yeah. um and i think they're probably in the same mm-hmm. space you know there's a lot of joy in making something that other people resonate with and get excited about um so, but it's there's something in art which I love that is fairly pure it's there's something about being a human mm-hmm. that makes you want to catch something that you've seen and just let that be with you um, and enjoy it even if no one else does get to uh, to see it yeah no I think that's I, th- I think that's great I mean that's something I've been trying to work on this year is trying to get back to like what attracted me to take photographs in the first place mm-hmm. or actually not even what drew me to take photographs more seriously I think that impulse as a kid with a you know like a 35 millimeter disposable yeah. camera and just like enjoying photography mm. in sort of like in a more pure way I don't know if that that's maybe an illusion but um, taking work without the intent of ever sharing in this so I mean mm. maybe I will share it but so for instance 
there's this place I've been traveling to with my family for, I mean, as long as I can remember, um, in the Canary Islands and, mm. you know, getting older, they're getting older. I don't, you know, I don't know if, if we'll ever go back there, but we went, we went there as a family, um, earlier this year and I took photographs in quite a different way than I normally would. Mm. So it was sort of, I think often now I th- I find myself not taking photographs because I don't see an immediate purpose for it. You know, if it isn't, doesn't mm. fit into my aesthetic. So, so say, I mean, difficult to describe this over a podcast, but mostly I take photographs of landscapes in particular, weather conditions generally that wet. are more wet, <laughs> yeah, dark, mysterious, sort of Scot- what Scotland is most days, basically. <laughs> and so if it doesn't conform to that aesthetic, I find myself not as drawn to take to make uh, photographs and so when I went on this trip earlier in the year um, to this place that's sort of sentimentally significant to me and my family and just sort of kind of seeing myself and my and my sister and my parents age um, this place is sort of like a bellwether I think Mm. I'm not sure bellwether is the right word but um, it's because the place itself hasn't changed very much yeah and you know it's 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 not overdeveloped you know the canary islands i think a lot of people think of as like touristy but there's really very little here it's very simple it only recently sort of got um wi-fi this this place that we mm-hmm. go to so it used to be you know you just go and you'd be completely disconnected yeah. and um it's before i had you know sort of free roaming or anything like that and i purposely decided to take photographs of that place and of my family and stuff mm. just so that it is documented in mm. some way mm-hmm. and those photographs maybe i'll make like a book of it or something yeah. for my family yeah but i don't know if that work will ever be shared with other people necessarily yeah. outside of like immediate family and friends and yeah i think it's important to to do that kind of yeah. like passion project yeah stuff or like actually like you know just creating work that is meaningful and not just this is all sort of stream of consciousness now but like a lot of the stuff on instagram is visually impressive and mm-hmm. aesthetic but like it that's sort of where the meaning of it ends mm-hmm. like it is pretty to look at it is quick to consume mm-hmm. but it's sort of loose common denominator avocado stuff. Bacon, toast exactly well yeah it's just mm-hmm. it's stuff that like everybody likes yeah. you know like yeah. um and but it's and it's pretty and it's nice to look at and so we sort of you know double tap it but it doesn't necessarily mean anything if you look at it for mm. longer than a, a few seconds and if you if you saw that image in a gallery in a museum and and mm. like the tate or something would you think anything of it and i think like in terms of like trying to create like a body of work is something i'm thinking more about like trying to create more with like an intent and creating a series and having some sort of thematic approach to the photographs that i'm making um i think just trying to have a reason for for taking images and not just trying to create pretty things yeah yeah i think that's that's like a journey that i hate the word journey I think that's something that a lot of photographers or like artists in general grapple yeah. with. You know, I think when yeah. you're starting out, totally. you you emulate the people that you admire most, 
Um, but it's the kind of superficial elements of, of, of their style or their subject matter they emulate. So um, I'll give an example. Alex Stroll, who's, who's sort of well-known uh, Instagram. I mean, he's a photographer. I don't only like refer to him as an Instagrammer, but he's a photographer with a large following on Instagram. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> he genuinely is an influencer which has connotations of shallow commercial <laughs> marketing sort of stuff. But okay. I mean, he is an influencer in the sense that he sees the world in a particular way. He goes to places that other people don't go to. And then other people are influenced to go to see these places because he goes there. And a lot of the people who are referred to as influencers are basically just following in his, in his footsteps right. and recreating the images that he takes. You can see that he has sort of Brightly exposed, vibrant colors, landscapes, often with like a, a person will be in, in the scene in, in some way. Yeah. And you can sort of take those elements of his work and recreate that. But actually it's it's a sort of, it's not really what his work is about. There's, there's a difference between what he's doing and, you know, I think his work can be boiled down to those sort of, simple yeah. elements it's i mean the word the word he keeps sort of reaching for and resisting is authentic um because he is choosing to go to places that other people don't go to and trying to tell some sort of story around it right for me personally i got into photography or social media has helped encourage me with photography it has mm -hmm. opened doors to for me to go to places and to experience things I would never have been able to experience yeah. otherwise. But I, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily taught me to be a better photographer. I think yeah. it has, it gives you that encouragement Yeah. because people are seeing your work and engaging with it and you get that instant feedback and then trying to sort of separate the signal from the noise with that feedback and actually sort of taking it as what, as what it means rather than what it looks like. Yeah. Um, Right, and that's that's what gets me kind of interested looking ahead is from any art form but uh, or organisation or individual. But in, in this experience, you had the magic thing of when you were a kid and it was like just run about with the, the videos and the, the snapping. And then there was the um, getting that together with uh, friends abroad and again, another quite like magic experience. And then it, it makes sense that you go through a phase of getting the tech stuff right and mm -hmm. pushing and getting the work out there and wondering like, is this working? Is it successful? And then actually you, you, you have this good thing of, but what does success look like for me yeah. in this area? And you got to reframe it and reframe it and reframe it until you, you get to be quite happy with, here's what I'm putting out on this space and here's what else I'm creating. And I, I think the exciting thing is what comes after all this. Yeah. When um, so many people have a passion for something, they found a platform to release it on, they then bounce off that and say, I'm tired of the platform that I want to release it. And they, it's like, what's next? What's, mm. what's the art that gets to come out of that in response to saturation or in response to commercialization? Yeah. Um, I think that gets quite exciting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think for me at the moment, I'm trying to, just because a lot of my work in photography and exposure to photography has come to Instagram, I'm trying 
to be intentional in creating work that can sort of stand on its own two feet outside of that mm. sphere, but then also looking for inspiration elsewhere. Yeah. And looking in photo books and things and you know, we can get into a discussion about whether or not you need to understand like the history of photography to be a photo or like who even gets to call himself a photographer. Like what is <laughs> what does photographer yeah. mean? Like I'm not entirely comfortable calling myself a photographer, which is what we were talking about at the beginning, yeah. the sort of existential <laughs> crisis. Um but yeah, that's something that I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to just not to be too tied to one platform or one way of viewing the medium. Right. Right. In a really nice way, we are about to go and see probably quite a puristic filmmaker in many people's heads, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, well, shot, shot on the 35mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm excited for this. So, yeah. um, where can people find your work? Uh, well, people can find my work on Instagram. I feel like I've rubbished Instagram a <laughs> lot, but if you want to go to Instagram, you can find me at ross.dicky and then you can also get me on my website which is www.rossdicky.com Brilliant. Ross, thank you so much. Thank you. Here we go. There you have it. That's Ross Dickey. Check him out on Instagram and on his website. Thank you so much for experiencing this week's episode. It would mean a lot if you'd be up for leaving us a review, subscribing to this on your podcast app, and sharing the show. The intro music was crafted by Sam Gallagher, and the imagery is from Ross's partner, Melody Joy Cole. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.